This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. We've paused a fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them. Thunder Media. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Across in the West, it was another interesting weekend. And Coca-Cola Racing by Erebus had another strong performance. On today's show, we find out from Tom Moore, the engineer for Will Brown, who won race number eight, on some of the damage that we saw on Saturday from the rubbing between his teammate in Brody Kostecki and Shane Van Gisbergen's battle at the end of the race. It appeared mostly cosmetic, but what holds, what creates that cosmetic um, facade to the rear of the car is very intricate and quite time-consuming to repair. So it's it's insignificant in terms of car performance. Obviously, you obviously want your body to be the way it's designed all the time, but in that regard, it is. However, in terms of repair and time and number of components required to compare, it's definitely not insignificant. Tom Moore talks about winning and repairability, along with a whole lot more. And it starts now. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. It's the Sunday evening of the Wanneroo Racetrack. Oh, wow, it's the first time I've said Wanneroo for a long time. It's been Barbagello as long as you and I have been around this sport, hasn't it, Greg? No, it was Wanneroo when I started. It uh, became Barbagello, and now, of course, it's carco.com.au raceway. <laughs> um, Alf Barbagello has taken a step back and is no longer sponsoring the uh, club and the way in which he was. But uh, Wanneroo Racetrack, a uh, fascinating little track. It has uh, it always brings up some surprises. And one of the great things, it was three fantastic races, three great qualifying sessions, amazingly close qualifying and races, um, and not too much controversy, not too many crashes, lots of uh, cars being pushed into transporters rather than forklifts. It was uh, some great racing, though, I imagine you agree, Craig. Yes, and whilst there wasn't a lot of apparent, apparent banging and crash, there was some interesting comments out of Saturday's race, which was uh, an exciting race where it, what's blocking, how much is too much blocking and how much is too much rubbing uh, because we saw the situation where Brody Kostecki gets a uh, bad sportsmanship flag and a warning about his blocking of Shane Van Gisbergen and Erebus decided to seek a... Uh, a review of the official's decision 
of not having a penalty for Shane van Gisbergen, who was clearly leaning on the car in front. So we had that interesting situation where both drivers seemed quite happy with their lot, but questions certainly were being asked about, well, when are and aren't you allowed to block? When are and aren't you allowed to bump someone out the way? It was quite obvious Shane had more speed. Did he need to? Um, did he need to do all that rubbing? I think it made for the spectacle. I, it, he didn't launch him off the track. Brody, him being Brody Kostecki, so therefore, is a bit of rubbing acceptable? At the moment, with the cost of the cars, I think you can make a case to say no rubbing's acceptable. But then we've seen at Perth a baseline standard being handed out. Yeah, look, I think that uh, what Barry Ryan was actually seeking was a clarification because I felt that the uh, blocking uh, flag and the warning to Brody, which he wasn't told about at the time, um, the team chose not to tell him. Um, but uh, I think that that was a clarification that Barry Ryan wanted to do. And yes, certainly we know that both Shane and Brody enjoy each other's company, both on the track and off it. And uh, look, it was terrific racing. It was close. And obviously, at times, there was, I think, you know, a bit too far taken by Shane. Um, I don't think that it should have been taken into account, the, the blocking warning, because it was the last three laps. It wasn't the first three laps. And I think that in that situation, Brody did not change direction two or three times in any coming up to any corner. He merely uh, uh, made sure he was on the inside line always. And it was terrific racing. And, and of course, we do know that Brody's one of the few drivers who will take it up to Shane and won't be intimidated by him. So that was worthwhile. Look, it, it, all three races, it was interesting to see that while that first one, the uh, the Saturday race, uh, was a very close affair between both Brody and Shane. Um, the next one was uh, uh, Will Brown on the uh, Sunday morning. He ran away, uh, but it was a one-two for Erebus. Um, Shane was very back in the pack. Um, and the third race, was, of course, was Brock's win, which he won from pole. Now, in each case, the drivers obviously had speed, not only in qualifying to get that pole, but then to go away and win the races. So, look, it was some interesting racing and certainly justified um, the uh, work in, in getting all the cars and the series to Perth and yet another evidence that uh, there's uh, a work in progress still on parity. Some of the teams not feeling still that there is con complete parity in engine case between the Ford and the uh, Chevrolet. Anyway, that's yep. the uh, scene the, in the future. The the winners, Will Brown making amends. I, I always struggle when you say making amends for his mistake at the AGP. It's like when you kick a point instead of a goal. You can't make amends for it. The result is the result. One sees you holding a trophy, the other one sees you not. But he certainly showed that his speed, his consistency at the, the front of the field is there. Erebus is a force to be reckoned with and he can complete the task, which is all you ask of your driver.
it was remarkable for a number of reasons. There were very few safety cars. Um, there were none in the uh, three main game races. There were there were a couple of safety cars in the Super Two races, but um, and as well that there was no forklift loading, and a, a great thing because this Gen Three cars have seemed uh, a bit fragile, and um, fragility goes with the cost. And it seems as though those uh, front under trays, the splitters, whatever you want to call them, um, they have been made far more elaborate than they need to be and potentially far more costly than they need to be. And I would think that there's going to be some moves made in the next few months to be uh, lessening that elaboration and making them far more practical as a part of a racing car that doesn't need to be transferring downforce into the car, but to be seen. Now, I should mention that coming up on the show is Tom Moore. He'll be joining us very, very shortly. And Tom Moore is the engineer for the current fourth place in the championship and part of the uh, Erebus or Coca-Cola by Erebus team that is leading the team's championship ahead of Red Bull now. Uh, they're 897, if my glasses are working correctly, to Red Bull's 798. Brad Jones Racing is still in third with Walkinshaw and Dreddy United and then Penwright Racing rounding out the top five of that team's championship. Our leaderboard is Kostecki, Mostert and Van Gisbergen. Van Gisbergen had his share of problems. I'm sure we'll mention that very shortly. Then it's Will Brown and Brock Feeney rounding out the five. Six through ten quickly. Reynolds, Waters, Heimgartner, Davison, LeBrock is the top ten. And once again, to your point, um, LeBrock, Matt Stone racing in the top ten. Heimgartner, Brad Jones racing in the top ten. Davison, from B, uh, from Dick Johnson Racing, I, I would suggest that that's disappointing to be in ninth and not having his teammate in the top ten. Such has the deck of cards been shuffled. We're here with Tom Moore, who knocked up a race win again uh, with Will Brown at the wheel. Tom, welcome back to Inside Supercars. Thanks, guys. Thanks for thanks for the call. It's um it's always good to to talk to you guys. It normally means we've done something done something well. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want to come on a highlights of the bad weekends and the bad times, but um, it's a, a remarkable thing. I mean, the team to have walked out of the weekend with the first and second in the points, still leading the both the team championship and Will moving up now to fourth. It's a, an extraordinary time, but obviously one that uh, the new car is paying dividends for Erebus Motorsport and Coca-Cola Racing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, incredibly positive weekend for everyone. Obviously, the across the three races to have five five trophies out of the potential six that we could have walked away with was was outstanding. Um, obviously, a small mistake from the, on the car nine side of the garage on Saturday morning and qualifying hampered that race result. But that was just a highlight of, um, as put it in slightly different terms at the time, but just highlighted that you can't make a mistake um, anymore and. The way the knockout qualifying works, it's just it's very it's very ruthless on on any mistakes that you make, and it's very hard to recover from that. So, we did the best job we could on Saturday, which was which was definitely amicable. Um, but yeah, it was good to to capitalise on Sunday and and um, show the potential that we we would have had all weekend otherwise. One of the things that came apparent through looking at the various uh, qualifying sessions that the various 
drivers, and particularly the team's drivers, was the way in which, and okay, in your case, Will made a couple of small mistakes, but the qualifying format uh, highlights that uh, you can't make those mistakes. But the the setup window seems smaller again than we've possibly seen it, where James Courtney, for instance, um, they made a very small change to the uh, ride height, I think it was, or a center of gravity or something like that, and suddenly the car was out the window. Um, did you find that uh, you had to find that sweet spot and just stay in that little window? Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it is it is a small window with these cars, and with any sort of control spec category, um, it's really important to get everything that you can right. Um, obviously, such a small small items make, make a big difference, so... Um, we've had to, you know, find that sweet spot at each circuit we go to from, from Newcastle to Grand Prix, obviously being vastly different circuits and then, and now to Perth. So we're chasing that sweet spot to make sure that we're getting it in the window nice and early in the weekend and able to maximize points after that. Given that you work full time as a race engineer for Will Brown at Erebus, and you're not designing equipment anymore, you know, because your job is to be race engineering. Are you able to give us some idea about the relationship from the previous car, the Gen 2 car, to the current car, as to how close, you know, there is a relationship between those two setups. Can you see a direct correlation? Yeah, so probably what you've highlighted there is that the the ability to design components has, has been taken away from you effectively. So you need to, if you've got a balance issue with the car, you basically work with the tools that you've, you've got and that everyone else has to, to address that issue. So... Um, the correlation between the setups, you're always looking for a, a car that's balanced and behaves the same way as the driver likes it to. Um, the design generally of the chassis and the way that the car's been designed requires a slightly different setup to the old car, but you're still applying very similar principles to, um, to like sim- similar, similar principles to, to how you get, get speed out of the car. And obviously the, the driver always... You know, we'll have the same comments around understeer and oversteer. You just have to go a different way about attacking them and when you've got a different set of tools um, available at your disposal. We saw a lot of equipment uh, damaged in the course of racing that normally wouldn't get damaged as much uh, on the old car. As you come out of Perth, do you have a lot of splitters and other components that you need to do a, a bit of work on before you'll be ready for Tassie? Um, yeah, we're not too bad. Obviously, the boys had quite a bit of work on, on 29 after the race on Saturday afternoon. Um, the new cars are very different to repair to the old car, um, time-wise, effort-wise. There's, the number of components is largely increased compared to the previous car. Um, but I think as a whole, we got scathe, so it definitely wasn't a depletion of spare stock um, too dra- dramatically, but everyone's spares are slowly increasing as the season progresses. They're obviously quite low to start the year as, as a component supply was slow, but um, those spare inventories are, are getting larger and larger. So even with that rubbing, as we'll call it, there, there was a not, in, a not insignificant amount of damage on Brody's car. Um, it's, yeah, it wasn't, well, it was insignificant in the way that it was, uh, it appeared mostly cosmetic, but what holds, what creates that cosmetic um, facade to the rear of the car is very intricate and quite time-consuming to repair. So it's it's insignificant in terms of car performance. Um, 
obviously you obviously want your body to be the way it's designed all the time but in that regard it is however in terms of repair and time and number of components required to compare it's definitely not insignificant um i think the previous car was understandably refined over a number number of years to not only perform the way you wanted but also to be able to be repaired um and this car is still in its teething stages of its repairability effectively so we were, you know, at the track past curfew on Saturday night just to, to try and put the rear bar back together on 99, amongst other things. So um, those things will, will improve with time and I, there will be design revisions for, probably for the next 12, 18 months while we, while all the teams iron these bugs out and these bugs are, are becoming apparent. With the mapping change on the Ford, what do you take from what you saw in the, in the comparison on the racetrack knowing that you're going to be going to a drag strip and that obviously will have aero and engine performance issues between the parity of your car, the Camaro, and the Mustang? Yeah, it's probably, it hasn't come up too much. We've sort of been focusing on, on this weekend and the way it compared this weekend. Um, I think the drivers definitely commented that there is a slight difference. However, it's not, it's nothing that can't be overridden. Um, with a well-balanced car to a certain extent. Um, they, I don't think that our drivers ever commented that they would, they would pull away too dramatically from the Mustangs previous to this. Um, there's, it's, I would call it relatively minor, the change, if any change that we've, we've noticed, um, whether that will rear its head more so at Tasmania um, is obviously quite likely given the nature of the circuit, but that sort of remains to be seen. We've heard a lot of drivers giving their opinions of the cars, but what's fascinated me over the last couple of months is when I've been speaking to race engineers like yourself, asking what have you enjoyed about the new toolbox and about the new toy? Um, That's a good question. We sort of joked about this a moment ago that while we're still winning, we're going to enjoy everything about the car at this stage. If if that had changed, we'd probably have lots of complaints about it. But um, I think... It's a new challenge overall. It's probably the most enjoyable part. I wouldn't say that you're enjoying not being able to design things. It's a good, it's a blessing and a curse. You sort of have the freedom taken away from you, but then in some ways the potential workload, but then the workload is changed into something else because you're, you're working around tools you've been given. Um, I think it's just a new challenge. I think the everyone understood their previous cars so well that, you knew what you were trying to get out of the car all the time and each circle we go to has presented a different challenge for us to extract out of the car. So it's like developing a new car at every circuit you go to at this stage. So obviously that'll change as the years go on, but I think just the, the fresh challenge that you get every every round at this stage is probably the most enjoyable part while we're able to you know live up to the challenge at this stage. <laughs> if we start to struggle a lot more, I might change my tune on that, but at this stage it's been good. And, uh, Tom, whilst you've been focusing in on the number nine car pretty hard, it was also a very successful weekend for your young driver protege in Job Stewart. Yeah, no, he's surprised us dramatically over the last, even in the first round at, at Newcastle, we were we were really um, pleasantly surprised with his performance. Um, he's such a, a quiet, unassuming character that you don't expect, well, not that that relates directly to, to driver ability, but you don't sort of expect um, expect him to be posting the results that he has so so soon. So 
his his pace in an older generation car has been yeah outstanding um, and definitely a pleasant surprise to everyone involved with the uh, with the academy and the and the Dunlop Series program. Last couple of questions, Tom. Before uh, I know you're going off to uh, celebrate, have a team dinner. Is it tonight? Yeah, no, we're on our way to dinner now. We'll um we'll head back to the, okay. the hotel potentially and, and put on a fresh fresh set of clothes. I'm wearing the bottle shop. All right. and um and then we'll and then we're out to dinner. I've got, I've got George George Commons in my ear, my esteemed colleague, providing some. <laughs> okay, couple of quick advice. ones. At the Grand Prix, we saw the Asian fires and the Mustangs. Did you see anything like that this weekend? Anything any recurrence of that problem? No, definitely not. No, that was we. The way the engine fires were understood to have been caused or assumed to have been caused was never really a big issue for the Camaro, um, and yeah. we didn't see any uh, symptoms change compared to the Grand Prix that would suggest we would have any any danger of that. So obviously we had the the wheel tubs painted in the the non flammable or the flame retardant material to cover the resin. Um, but yeah, no, we we don't have any any issues with that and don't. The other item, very quickly, was the uh, front under-tray splitter um, that I know, Barry, uh, we talked at the Grand Prix about in that the uh, every session required a rebuild. Um, do you see that that's going to become far less elaborate and far less fragile in the future? I would definitely hope so, <laughs> definitely for the boys' sake. Um, it's. Uh, I think it will. I think it definitely will. I think because the the Mustang design is quite simplified to that and um, quite easy uh, to repair, um, assemble um, the number of components required to to manufacture to then assemble it um, is much reduced. So I think there's a lot of good good examples to be taken from the Mustang. Now do you need to check with George? Is it the driver that wins on Sunday? His engineer doesn't have to buy drinks it's the other engineer's job to buy the drinks on sunday night is that how it works at erebus <laughs> oh, i don't think either of the engineers will be buying the drinks tonight i think the uh the boys have earned enough bonuses at the last month that they can they can foot the uh foot the tab for this evening tom george thank you so much for joining us on inside supercars again we look forward to catching up with you in person enjoy your time in tasmania and enjoy the rest of the week mate because you've done a fantastic job in all ways, shapes, and forms, the Erebus Motorsport and Coca-Cola Racing. No worries, guys. Thank you very much. Brock yeah, Fanny taking the win. And it, it, it also shows that change in the garden. I think one of the other great things, Tony, is that we are seeing that these young drivers have got, their, have got the medal together. They've got uh, the opportunity and we're going to really enjoy these guys for a long time because Frosty... James Courtney, the last names of the Gen 2 era, are about to be departing soon. Indeed. Much as you raise that uh, question of the, the young guys now, unfortunately we haven't been able to yet get to our three rookies for this year, that being Cameron Hill, Matt Payne and Declan Fraser. Remarkable uh, differences between their weekends. As we were likely knew, Matt Payne, was uh, endorsed very early on. And in fact, he was sort of chosen by the Groves to be their main uh, man to take over from Lee Holdsworth. And he put in the six qualifying races, he finished in the top 10 in four of them, uh, qualifying in, in fifth and eighth and then 16th in the third qualifying session and finishing sixth, ninth and 18th. So 
uh, have a remarkable effort at this level, given that we had qualifying that in the first qualifying session, that being for race race uh, seven, the qualifying covered the 25 cars by 0.57 of a second. In race eight qualifying, it was 0.8. And in race nine, it was 0.67. They are remarkably close figures. There is nowhere else in the world on a road course that we have 25 cars covered by such small margins anywhere. And it was fantastic to see. And to see someone like Matt Payne so early on, and it's that very thing that you raised, that uh, and several people have talked about it already this year, is that the new car invites these young guys to take them by the scruff of the neck and to be getting the best out of them, better than those who um, possibly, like a um, Mark Winterbottom or James Courtney, have been there for some considerable time and. Uh, I don't want to use the phrase, but I'll have to, I suppose, muscle memory they talk about sort of thing. The thing is that these younger blokes who've come into the series and these three young guys as rookies this year are showing that they most definitely have a handle on these cars. And at the end of three races, Matt Payne sitting in 12th place overall. Of course, Brock Feeney in this second year is taking it up to Shane Van Gisbergen. Shane Van Gisbergen had the win on Saturday, but had his dramas on Sunday, but also a couple of interesting stories across the weekend. One, uh, I saw Daniel Herrero's uh, Speed Cafe story about he is looking at doing a NASCAR race this year, and then he's only locked in to 2024 and has got an out clause in his contract, which means if he gets a better offer, he can leave. It's it's a contract. So every contract's got an out clause, Tony, as you very well know. But it's fascinating to see just how much he doesn't like the series at the moment. And he, he pointed to, in an interview with uh, Jess Yates, something that you heard from Shane Howard, that they're still looking at Singapore, they're still looking at racing overseas, and he made a very interesting point that why would we be trying to become a Formula One support category when we've got tracks like Winton and Queensland Raceway and the new platform to try and rebuild the series around? From what I understand um, and in conversations with Shane Howard, um, one of the reasons for the smaller number of rounds this year, that being 12, which is the least number of rounds in probably about the last five years at least, um, it was because of the cost of Gen 3 and the very large capital outlay that the teams are having to make for these new cars. And as a result, it was seen that by reducing the number of rounds and particularly at this stage talking about overseas travel, it was to consolidate the series. Now, (laughs) this talk about Singapore and and other places, is at odds with some of that conversations. I, I, I don't know where that's going to head to next, but um, clearly there is uh, a lot of conversations going on behind closed doors that we may never know about. And um, uh, in, in much the same way, I hope that we didn't know about the background to when we went to Abu Dhabi and Bahrain and China and the US. Um, it's... Uh, 
these are things that have occurred without a lot of input, it would seem, from the teams and particularly the team owners. Um, I mean, I was astounded when we went to uh, Austin, Texas, until you realised that they had a requirement by the FIA before they ran a Formula One race that they had to have four international or three international meetings before Formula One would go to Austin, that circuit of the Americas. And going, right, okay, well, that's why supercars went there because they were seen as a cheap way to fill in that uh, schedule of having a, a, a another international meeting with superbikes um, or MotoGP at the Circuit of the Americas. So, you know, there's always that background to the way things occur and the way things happen. But uh, I must say that um, uh, I'm pleased to see the cars are being far more competitive with new teams bobbing up, young drivers coming along. But, you know, there are a couple of things that they need to do better. For instance, when they were introducing a lot of the young drivers in the Super 2 series, the Dunlop series, they didn't put a caption on the drivers' names. These are the blokes who are going to be their heroes in another five years' time. These are the guys they need to become household names. And they should do a better job in getting people used to these names, the Ryan Woods, the Zach Best, all these young drivers, their names need to be promoted. They need to, people need to see who the guy looks like, what he looks like, and what's his name. And I think that uh, the television didn't do a very good job covering them at the weekend. It was great that they got their races in, their two 40-minute races, and terrific to see that they got it. And one of the surprises was, of course, that we didn't see any of the cars bogged in the sand. Partially, it may have been the result of the rain that fell a few days beforehand, before the cars got there, that just made the the uh, sand traps of uh, Wanneroo that much harder that the cars just skated across the top rather than getting buried. Anyway, whichever way it was, it all worked out well and that those guys got the television time they deserved. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more. Or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. Have paused a fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.